0: talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2 verse 15 the Lord gave me one simple nugget he said you stay on this you preach this and I'm going to bring revelation to the the people so I'm going to be obedient to the Holy Spirit because that's what we're talking about and then when we come back when I come back because next Wednesday would be prayer night wouldn't it yeah next Wednesday would be prayer night with it no. okay so no so oh that's good then I got one more before prayer night well when I come back we're going to start on this new series so Lord Lord says the same I'll be able to wrap this up this evening Genesis chapter 2 verse 15 for those of you that have been saved more than 20 minutes you know what this is about and if you just got saved you need to listen to this, you need to listen to this one for sure this is the creation of man and God has put the man in the garden Verse 15 of Genesis chapter 2, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat of it, for in the day that you eat thereof you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle, to the fowl of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found and help meet for him. He was not looking among the animals for help. The way it's worded, it could, it's been mistaught that Adam was naming all the animals and looking for a wife and he couldn't find one and that's not what was happening at all it's just stating it's just reiterating the fact that among the animals there is nothing equal to man you know there's a lot of I'm going to avoid rabbit trails as much as possible but there's a lot of false doctrine sprinkling around about you know evolution and and how it can fit into the Bible, and things of that nature. Essentially, making a case that what, confused people preach confused things. And then they preach confusion. And so what happens is, when, you try, when you're unconfused and you try to explain it, it just makes you sound confused. So I'm going to avoid trying to explain what they're teaching. <laughs> but I will say this, animals and man both come from the human body of man comes from the same place as the animals from the dirt. The Bible says that, but man and animals have nothing in common. We are inhabiting a physical form that was made of the same materials as the animals. The Bible says that, but we are not our bodies. We are in our bodies. So we did not evolve into this. We were made this. I don't I, I it boggles my mind that I still have to explain that to the church in 2022. But I guess like all teaching, it has to be taught again and again and again, because the devil ain't taking no breaks. So neither can we. First 21, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept. A little bit. <laughs> I gotta stay in the spirit, y'all. We're gonna talk about nakedness, what it is and what it isn't. Now I found something interesting. We've taught and continue to teach that when Adam and when Adam fell, when mankind fell after eating the fruit and committing sin and disobeying God, that the Holy Spirit lifted from them and they became naked. And the Holy Spirit did lift from them when they ate the fruit. That is true, because that's what God told them what happened. He said, you will die. And we know, based on what we taught last week, that spiritual death is the absence of the Holy Spirit is when you declare your independence from the kingdom of God and your independence from God, you die. Pasadena taught that. She did a masterful job, by the way. I'm still studying that. But the naked part precedes the fall. The Bible says that they were both naked, and they were not ashamed. And they had the Holy Spirit at that point, and they were still naked. So inquiring minds wanted to know, what does naked mean if you can have the Holy Spirit and be naked? And because God is the God who answers and the Holy Spirit is a far better teacher than I am, he taught and I learned. And this is the whole theme for tonight. It's very simple. How to be naked with the Holy Ghost. Minister Barnes, don't title the video, How to Be Naked with the Holy Ghost. (laughs) Please do me a solid. (laughs) Come up with something else. I don't know. That might get us some more views. (laughs) How to Be Naked with the Holy Ghost. That might work. So the Lord made man, and he installed into him the Holy Spirit and made them one. And as long as the man walked in the power of the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Ghost, as we are to be today, he was naked, but he was not ashamed. So that tells me something about the nature of shame. Shame is a byproduct of walking without the Holy Spirit. In chapter 3 of Genesis, The man and his wife eat the fruit. Let's go down to verse 6 of chapter 3 of Genesis. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. Now, the man and the woman turned to the tree for wisdom. They turned to a natural source to make them wise. And when they did that, They declared their independence from the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit left them, because they made a choice. We're going to go at this life thing without the Holy Ghost. That was the whole reason they ate the fruit. It wasn't because it tasted good. We had a whole conversation about taste a few minutes ago. I'm not going to go into that. Let's just say we need to pray for our youth. They're under attack. We're not going to let it stand. (laughs) It wasn't because the tree tasted good. It was because they wanted something from it that they could have gotten from the Holy Ghost, but they didn't want from the Holy Ghost. They didn't want the Holy Ghost wisdom. They wanted natural wisdom. They wanted the tree to make them wise because they believed the tree was going to give them something that God wouldn't give them, and they wanted it. So they declared their independence from the Holy Spirit and declared their dependence on that fruit. So the fruit became their God. They ate the fruit and their God left them because he will not compete with your gods. The Holy Spirit, if you're taking notes, you need to write that down. The Holy Spirit will not compete with your gods. In the wilderness, God told Moses, he said, I am the Lord your God. You will have no other gods before me. He was very adamant about that. God will not compete with your gods and you can make a God out of anything. And oftentimes you make gods out of things you don't even realize. And one of the ways you can tell you've made a God out of something is when you depend on it for wisdom. You depend on other things for wisdom and instruction and direction before you depend on the Holy Spirit. You've put that thing in the place of God and the Holy Spirit will lift from you in that place. He will not compete. You will have to return to him to hear his voice. And that's a little harsh, but it's the truth. A lot of times we go to God with the word of our other gods and we ask him to validate it. We say, well, my grandmama said I should do it this way. And my college education said I should do it this way. And online, they're saying all of this. And CNN said it should go, it's going to be like this. And this one brother I follow on Instagram, he seen kind of, kind of, kind of, kind of say, well, he's giving this advice. <laughs> you know. And we go to the Holy Spirit with all of the gods we went to first. And then we want him to, to sift through the teachings of other gods to tell us which one is right. And he will not compete. And if you're confused about what to do, you probably got too many gods talking to you. That's what the man and his wife did. They declared their independence from the Holy Ghost and said, this fruit will be our God. We'll get our wisdom from experience. Let's experience evil to see what it's like. And when they did that, something very interesting happened. verse verse seven, and the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. So they knew for the first time that they were naked. But the Bible says they were naked prior to that and they were not ashamed of their nakedness. So what is nakedness in the eyes of God? Now, God gave the man some some work to do. The man was naked, but he gave the man an assignment. And he gave him authority to carry out the assignment. He said, you're going to name everything I've created. Every living thing I've created, I'm going to give it to you, and you're going to assign a name to it. Now, I created it, but I'm giving you the authority to name it. And whatever you call it, that's what its name will be. And when you study names, especially in the Hebrew, there's a lot of authority to name things. Only God can can assign names to things. God can change your name. And whenever God selected someone, he did one of two things. If he selected someone after they were already born, he would change their name. If he chose them before birth, he would tell the parents what to call them, because names are important to God. So the power to name is a godlike ability. And God gives us authority to Adam in the garden to name everything he's created. He said, whatever you call it, that's what it will be. And that's not just assigning an identifier so we can tell it apart from something else. He's assigning purpose to these things. He's assigning a place in the hierarchy to these things. He's assigning the natural order of the world to these creatures. They've been given a responsibility to obey whatever name Adam gives them. Where does Adam get the names from? To whom does he confer to get what to call them? He didn't make them. He didn't plan them. He didn't purpose them. They were there before Adam was. God made animals before you, put man in the garden. So Adam wasn't coming up with these names on top of his head. He was getting the names from the Holy Spirit. This was a divine opportunity for Adam to learn, to work with the Holy Ghost. Because when God created the animals with his words, it was the Holy Spirit who brought them into being because that's what the Holy Spirit does. The father, sits on the throne and he speaks the word now he is the word. John chapter one says that the word was God. The word is God. The father is God. The Holy Spirit is God. The father. Is the speaking part of God. The word must be spoken to be manifest. So the word who is God must be spoken by the father. The reason why the father can't lie is because he only speaks about himself and he is truth. When he speaks, he's not just talking. He's releasing himself in word form. When he does that, the Holy Spirit moves. The Holy Spirit only moves when the word has been spoken. Because only the word of God can move God. In the beginning, the Holy Spirit is hovering over the earth. Waiting to hear the word spoken by the father. This is how God operates. And so God speaks the word and then the Holy Spirit moves and performs the word. This is basic, but it's very important. The Holy Spirit in you moves when the word of God has been spoken, not what you're thinking in your head, not what you're worried about, not what you're scared of or concerned about. He moves when the word of God has been spoken because he's too powerful to be moved by anything less than the word of God. He does not owe your fears any attention. He does not owe your feelings any attention. He does not owe your natural thoughts any attention. Any attention he gives you is an act of love because he loves you, but he's looking for his word before he goes into action. And a lot of times we get caught up in the soothing nature of the Holy Ghost when we are afraid and in a low place. And it's important because he loves us so much that he will, like a mother cradling her child, will hold us in his arms and bring peace to our soul. And that's important. But eventually, mama got to let that baby go. And baby got to get up and walk. And baby got to grow. Now I'm a grown man. But when I was younger, still an adult, but a younger adult, you have heartbreaking moments and you just want to cry on somebody. And I can remember just laying on my dad and just crying about something. Cause I was I was hurting, and he let me cry for a while. But then he he kind of hit me on the back. All right, man, you a man. You got to get up now. I've given your emotions time, but now get up, dry your eyes. You got to get back to work. You're a man. You got to go be a man. The Holy Ghost is the same way. You we love the crying part of the Holy Ghost. Oh, you're such a soothing to my soul, and you're such a. Oh, and, and he, he is. I'm not trying to diminish that. But he's going to pat you on the back after a while and say, all right, what does the word say? I understand that you've been hurt. I understand that you've been traumatized. I understand that you've dealt with this and dealt with that. But we can't, we can't make an identity out of that. What does my word say? Okay, now you got to get up. I've given you time. I've soothed you. You know I'm here. You know I still love you. You know I'm not mad at you. The only reason why any of that's valuable is because I expect to use you. If you ain't going to be used, then what are we doing? And the Holy Ghost will remind you, what does the word say? Because he's ready to move when he hears the word. He's ready. And a lot of times we spend too much time at home base because we we like the soothing part of laying in our parents' arms and being comforted in our pain. And we turn that into a whole ministry and we don't ever get out of them arms. We can't. We'll never get up and walk again. We'll never do no work. We'll never speak no more word. We just stay broken and constantly in need of care. And that becomes our whole identity in, in, in the spirit. And that's not correct. I sound like I'm preaching like mama today. I don't know why that is. I'm still in your notes. <laughs> that might be it. <laughs> don't blame me. So the Holy Spirit leaves the man and his wife and they realize they are naked. So they were naked before, but they weren't ashamed because the Holy Ghost was with them. Now they're naked and they're alone and they're ashamed and they're afraid. So that brings me to another truth. That fear is a consequence of nakedness without the Holy Ghost. If you're taking notes, write that down. Fear is a consequence of nakedness without the Holy Ghost. It's not a consequence of nakedness, but it's a consequence of nakedness without the Holy Ghost. Because God never gave him any clothes when he was naming those animals. And he didn't give them any clothes when he brought his wife to him. He didn't consider their flesh, so they didn't consider their flesh. So it's possible to be in the flesh and have the nakedness of the flesh, the weaknesses of the flesh, and they just not be a consideration. Now, we've often taught that the human body was perfect in the garden. we come to that conclusion from several angles, primarily that God never makes anything broken, and that sin has had a direct effect on our mortal flesh. The Bible's full of references to that. But I want to explain something to you. Adam's body was always mortal. Even in the garden, his body was mortal. It was made of dirt. What made Adam's body regenerate was a fruit from the tree of life that was also in the garden. And when God cast the man and woman out of the garden, he made a statement. He said, my spirit will not always strive with man. Because he is flesh. He said, I have to keep them from returning to the garden, lest they eat of the tree of life and live forever. You see, there is a tree in heaven that if you eat of it, your mortal flesh will be regenerated consistently and constantly. That same tree was on the earth. And man could eat of it at his leisure. And he would eat as much of it as he wanted and it would extend his life and his vitality forever. Now if he stopped eating it, eventually he would decay. That's what happened to the man. Took 900 some odd years for the man, for that fruit, for the effects of that fruit to finally end his natural life. But his body was mortal because it was made of dirt. And the Bible says that heaven and earth shall pass away. All of this shall wax old as a garment and you shall fold it up and it shall be replaced. This mortal realm is temporary and everything that was made out of this mortal realm is temporary. But it didn't matter because the Holy Spirit was in the man and God had set it up so that he could regenerate himself anytime he needed. And Adam would be walking the earth in flesh today if he had not been cut off from his access to that tree. We all know about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but we don't talk much about the tree of life. But God had set up processes to maintain the man's life in the garden, his physical life. So the the weaknesses of his flesh existed. They just didn't matter. Because he was naked, but he was not ashamed. And he was not ashamed because the Holy Spirit was with with him. Then when he lost the Holy Spirit, he realized that all he had left was flesh. Fear and doubt are a result of an awareness that all you have is flesh. When Jesus was walking with his disciples and they would encounter a situation that their flesh could not overcome, Jesus would tell them, fear not, because when they reached the limits of their flesh, fear would set in. Same thing happens to us when we become overly focused on the flesh. You ever notice how disturbed you are by what's going on in the world when you stop praying? That's not a coincidence. That is a consequence of you becoming overly aware of your nakedness. Nakedness doesn't just mean they don't have clothes on. It means that their flesh is exposed. Their flesh is in a situation where it can be harmed. It can be touched. It can be affected by what's going on. And oftentimes, you are in a naked state. But when you are in tune with the Holy Ghost, you don't have the shame or the fear that comes as a result of being in that state. Because the reality is, the truth is this, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, the reality is this, that regardless of the state of your flesh, your power never came from the state of your flesh. Therefore, your flesh is as irrelevant as Adam's was. Adam's flesh played no part in Adam's authority in the garden. Adam's flesh played no part in his walking out his assignment. It was entirely his dependence on the Holy Ghost. His flesh was inconsequential to him because he was walking with the Holy Spirit. And it's that walking with the Holy Spirit that invalidates the state of his flesh. What did the Bible say about Abraham? It took a long time, but Abraham finally came to a place where he did not consider his own flesh. And then what happened? He got exactly what he was promised. God promised him that years before, but it took him getting to the point where he no longer considered his own flesh. Because faith comes from what? Hearing the word. And how do we hear the word? How do we hear the word? Who is the one responsible for us hearing the word? The Holy Ghost. So there is a connection between your faith and your ability to hear the Holy Ghost. I'm I'm being as technical as I possibly can be, because it's very simple. I teach music. Many of you know that. And when I'm teaching a student how to, let's say, build a chord. Now, for those of you who play music, you'll know what I mean when I say that. For those of you that don't, basically, it's an element of music theory where you're building a harmony. You're taking multiple notes and putting them together to make a harmony. And what I teach my students is this. I say, you're not going to memorize every chord in music theory. There's thousands of them. But if you have a process that you can repeat, you learn every step of a process on how to build a harmony. If I'm trying to build a minor seven chord, there's a formula that every minor seven chord follows. No matter what key I'm in, every minor seven chord has a particular formula. Instead of trying to remember all 12, I'll just remember the formula. And if I can find my tonic, which is my root note, and that I apply that formula, I will build the proper chord every single time without failure. The true masters of music theory are simply people who do that very quickly. They can do it so quickly that it looks like they just thought of the chord. But in reality, they're completing that task in a matter of seconds, where a new student might take a few minutes to work out the formula. When I teach music theory, I teach it in formulas. Because when you're on stage, you're going to lock up. When the lights are on and the drummer's playing and you got to hit it and you got four beats to get there, you're going to lock up. And you need a process that's repeatable. That's how faith works. That's how the kingdom of God works. You have to know how it's supposed to work so you can repeat that process. And it might take you a little, a little while the first few times. But you have to be able to check every element to see where I'm lacking. If I know that my faith comes from me hearing the word, and I know that hearing the word is a consequence of fellowship with the Holy Spirit and the word of God. I need those two elements to hear the word. And I realize that my flesh has no input in that chain whatsoever. Then I can walk in the same faith that Jesus walked in because Jesus saw some water and considered not his flesh, and just walked out on it. And Jesus went to a dead man's grave named Lazarus, and considered not the limitations of the flesh, and spoke to Lazarus, and Lazarus came out of hell. Jesus walked up to a blind man and touched him, and the man's eyes opened up, because he did not consider the flesh. But the reason he didn't consider the flesh is because of his fellowship with the Holy Ghost. A lot of what we consider to be challenges are not actual challenges. They're just considerations of the wrong thing. Spiritual warfare. We've overcomplicated spiritual warfare because we're overly considering the flesh. We think spiritual warfare is something we have to enter into at various times to do battle and then come back out. What we don't understand is that spiritual warfare is where we live and the flesh is not supposed to be in consideration at all. What did Paul say in Ephesians six? We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We all say that scripture, but we don't really understand it. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, so we don't wrestle as flesh and blood. See, you try to fight spiritual warfare as flesh and blood. And you spend all your time calling upon Jesus to fight your battles because you're quoting Old Testament scripture when, they, when people were just flesh. And Jesus, the, the father told the children of Israel, I will fight your battles because they couldn't fight their battles because they had no power. And if the demonic forces in their region were whipping their butt, they just got their butt whipped. And the Lord would have to come in and fight their battles for them. And we've been, we've adopted that position as believers. The Lord's gonna fight my battle. But Paul said, You put on the Lord's armor. He didn't say, Sit back at the Lord, fight your battle. Now, because I'm gonna step on somebody's religion, you have to understand that the Lord has already won your battle. The battle is not between you and the devil. The battle is between your flesh and the devil. The devil has no power over you in the spirit. So I'm trying to wake you up to the fact that you fight in the wrong way. And when you get inconsistent manifestation, sometimes it works, sometimes it don't, go back through your chain and see where you let your flesh get in. Because the only reason you would ever lose to the devil is if you were fighting him in the flesh. You might not have thought you were fighting him in the flesh because you prayed a few prayers and you came and first got hands laid on you. You know, you did the, 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 the Christian thing. But the devil is an expert at flesh fighting because that's all he's got. He's already been beat by the, by the spirit. He's not big enough and bad enough to challenge the Holy Ghost. But if he can get you to declare your independence in this fight, That's what you'll do. And then he'll beat you with experience because he knows the flesh better than you do. That's what he was doing with Adam in the first place, getting him into a field where he could take him because he couldn't take him in the spirit. But If I can get you down on my level, I can beat you with experience. And that's what he did. He said, look, I declared my independence why don't you declare yours and then we can we can work this out? We can share this planet together. And Adam said, hmm, that sounds all right to me. And that's what he did. And he realized that, oh, I'm not Adam anymore. I'm just meat. And meat gets eaten in this world. Is that, is that plain enough? It's not it's not a happy jumpy message. It's a simple technical one. It's a simple technical one. You know. Another thing I teach my students is if you don't know what to practice, practice the fundamentals. You can never play a scale too many times. You will be 30 years into your musical training. You will be a master level musician. You're still, I still play my scales to warm up. Sometimes we think that skill means knowing a lot of things. Skill means. I heard it described this way today. I never heard it that way before. And I'm going to try to repeat it properly because it kind of got me. I was like, that's kind of cool. Someone said mastery is not when you can do something. No. He said the difference between an amateur and and an expert is an amateur practices until they can do something without getting it wrong. An expert is someone who can do something, yeah, I'm going to get it wrong. (laughs) There's someone who has attained a level of mastery where they can't do it wrong. That makes sense. You can practice something to the point where you know how to do it without messing up. But mastery is when I can't mess up anymore. When I get behind a piano, there are certain things I can't do poorly because I've done it the same way, correctly, for so many years now. I try to demonstrate bad technique to my students to give them an example of what it looks like, and it's very hard. I have to consciously try to do certain things poorly because my hands cannot do them poorly anymore. Without a, without serious effort, because the fundamentals are so ingrained. It's called muscle memory. And muscle memory is, is attained through consistency. You go back to the basics, and you, you drill it, and you use it as often as possible. And the Holy Spirit is as fundamental as you can get in the kingdom of God. And what the devil did was he established a religion on two sides. One, he established some religions without the Holy Ghost, took them out completely. He said, look, that Holy Ghost stuff, that ain't of God, so you can't have that. And the ones who wouldn't buy that lie, he said, "Okay, the Holy Ghost is just running and spitting and rolling around, making a lot of noise. Everybody caught the Holy Ghost and walked out of there and got beat up by the devil. And you got whole religions, whole cultures established on that version of the Holy Ghost. But they don't listen to him in their day-to-day life. They don't commune with him. They don't even pray in tongues until they come to church and have to catch the Holy Ghost. Who's throwing the Holy Ghost? I ain't never figured that out yet. Is he like COVID where you, if I cough on you, you catch him? You know. How do you keep him when you caught him? Because you don't need them in church. You need them out there. But you got whole religious people, and they'll, they'll die on that hill. They'll make their whole ministry catching the Holy Ghost at random times, in random places to make a spectacle of themselves. And then they scare away people because when you say Holy Ghost, people go, oh, they want not them kind of people. Because you know, the devil, he won't give up. If he can't talk you out of believing the Holy Ghost at all, he'll, he'll make you afraid of him just so that you never actually commune with him. But you cannot get more fundamental than the Holy Ghost. It's a simple message. You cannot get more fundamental than the Holy Ghost. And there's no point in trying to learn anything else until you can commune with the Holy Ghost without messing up. And it is possible. Jesus did it. And he is the standard not your favorite preacher, not me, not Pastor Diana. You follow us as we follow Christ, like Paul said. You follow us as we follow Christ. Christ is the standard. And if he could walk in such perfect harmony with the Holy Ghost that he never messed up, you got to remember, when Jesus went to the cross, he was sinless. He never sinned. How do you live 33 years without sinning? You can't in the flesh, but you can in the spirit and by the spirit. And Jesus did it. So so can we. Pretty simple, right? I think that's all I got for tonight. Now, when I come back, we're going to have some fun.